and to exult and to rejoice in the assurance of our pardon, but Lord, to really celebrate that you are worthy of worship. Lord, there is no proper, uh, improper way to celebrate what you have done for us. You are glorified in uh, your people who are holy and happy because of what you have done through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we're here this morning just uh, here out of not just remembrance as we come to your table later this morning and to gather to enjoy each other's fellowship, but ultimately to enjoy you, to enjoy all that you've accomplished and how you have taken enemies of the cross and made us sons and daughters of God. And that is something that is truly remarkable. And so we rejoice together this morning. We worship you this morning. You are worthy. The angels constantly are around you, crying out, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Lord, we join them. And yet we admit that we are so unlike you. Help us to worship you as you deserve. We are yours, and we give ourselves afresh to you this morning. Father, we don't just pray for ourselves. We lift up other churches to you. We know that there's other places that are gathering this morning to lift up your name and make much of you. Father, we lift up Flat Grove uh, Union Baptist Church this morning, that you would be with them as they gather this morning uh, here in this county, that, God, you would be glorified in them and through them. Father, that you would continue your work uh, in taking the gospel to their community. Father, we lift up other churches in our network. We think of Reformation Church in Plant City, Florida, that you would be with them, that you would continue to grow them, mature them in you, sanctify them, use them. Lord, we thank you for brother and sister churches that are able to um, make much of your name in many places. Father, we lift up your persecuted church. We think of the persecuted church in Senegal this morning in West Africa, that you would be with them, that God, you would strengthen them when they face persecution. For those who are delivered to death, Lord, that you would give them strength to, uh, by faith, to trust you in their final hours. Those that are imprisoned, Lord, that we would pray for them as if we're imprisoned with them. Lord, your word tells us to think of them and to pray for them. And while they might feel lonely this hour, Lord, you are with them, and we are praying for them, and we thank you for that. Lord, we uh, enjoy such freedoms here that we often forget uh, these truths, so help us, Lord, uh, to remember them and to pray for them. Father, we lift up those who have never heard of you. We find it hard to understand or even believe that uh, in the 21st century that um, the gospel is going out by means in ways that it has never gone out before over the internet and over uh, devices and all these kinds of things, including the radio waves, that, Lord, there's still people that have never heard of you. And so we lift up people uh, that are far from you, a particular frontier people, Lord, that our hearts break because they have never heard of the saving uh, good news of Jesus Christ. So we lift up the Jegu people, Lord, of Chad, that you would save them. God, that you would send missionaries to them. They would be able to call on your name and to be freed from idolatry and false worship. 
Oh God, that the sun would not go down on a whole generation of these people without hearing the gospel. Oh God, let it stop with our generation. Would you send and raise up more workers for the harvest? God, help us to be thankful people for having heard your word and heard your gospel. Help our hearts to break for those that don't know you. Oh God, that their future is eternal separation from you. Send us, we pray. God, would you enable us to be a continual mission sharing, sending service to you. God, that you would enable your church, God, to make much of you, not just here, but around the world. So God, we lift these people to you. Father, we lift uh, the suffering in many places of our world. Our hearts break for the war-torn areas of the Middle East and uh, Ukraine and Russia. Oh God, the loss of life to so many uh, is grievous to us. Uh, we um, know that you are sovereignly working your plan in the nations, and yet we know there's many grieving on both sides of these conflicts. And Lord, we know your church is amongst both sides of every conflict, that there are people that you have redeemed. And Lord, in the midst of the casualties of war, that you would draw many to yourself, that you would show mercy, and God, that you would um, bring justice. And we know that you are able to do that, and we pray that you would come quickly at the same time, that our coming king would restore all things and make things right again. And we long for that day. Father, we pray for those in the military. We especially lift up those that have lost loved ones uh, in recent days and various attacks. Father, we lift up our government leaders that no doubt have a hard job to do to make wisdom, uh, make wise decisions, that you would give them wisdom, Lord, to accomplish uh, what they need to do, that you would be with our troops and that you would raise up um, uh, just good ministers of the gospel. Father, we, um, we don't uh, forget to pray for those that you've placed in the armed forces that are, are gifted by your spirit to be chaplains, and so we lift them to you. Um, Lord, we pray for those who are grieving. We think of uh, George and Grace San as they continue to grieve uh, his brother's loss. Father, we think of um, uh, Greg and Wendy Poe's extended family and the loss of their cousin. Uh, Lord, for Ron and Sharon, who are traveling up in Maryland, Lord, with uh, the loss of Charlotte, that you would be with the extended family and Jimmy and the kids and others that are grieving, Father, that you would uh, comfort them in a way that only you can. Father, we lift up our expectant mothers. We think of Whitney and Sarah Foster and uh, even grandbabies that are coming for the Finneys. Uh, we thank you for uh, Liz, Lord, that you'd be with her and be with others, Lord, that are uh, expecting that you'd be with them. Father, we pray for those that uh, are healing. Uh, we think of Christina, Lord, uh, as she continues to heal, and Lord, that you'd give her strength in her treatments. Father, we continue to lift up Dean Mundy and John Cordy uh, with his cancer battle. Joe Morris, Lord, as he heals from back surgery, that you would give him strength each day. Father, for um, Dot's uh, daughter-in-law with her heart trouble, that you would give wisdom to the doctors. We continue to lift up Zoe Lawrence to you as well. Father, we pray uh, that you would uh, help us to give thanks to when we see uh, you healing and doing things that uh, are a great care for our loved ones. Father, we pray um, for others. Uh, we think of 
Tommy and Angela's son, uh, Chris, as he's hiking, and we think of Tommy's boss as he requested prayer for him as well, that he would come to know you. We lift up our shut-ins, Lord. We think of Janice and Jack Tyler, Lord, that you would be with them as they um, can't be with us but would very much like to be with us. And so we lift them to you, Lord, that you would draw yourself close to them. Father, we lift up those traveling. We think of the Coravex and others that are traveling for work. We lift up Abigail Spendlove, Lord, as she approaches uh, her trip to Bolivia, that you would be with her, that you would strengthen her and her team, that you give them great health and preparation as they minister to many um, on one of the tributaries of the Amazon. We thank you for them, Lord. Father, we thank you for our church plant down in uh, Wilkesboro. We thank you for this dear church that's celebrated a year. We thank you for uh, Tim and his faithful uh, proclamation of your word and ministering to that dear congregation. We lift them up, Lord, as they um, are preparing to receive new members and the members class today that's taking place, that you would be with them, Lord, and um, that you would add to their number, that you would bring them uh, great fruit and joy as they see you growing the church. But Lord, we do pray that you would continue to proclaim the gospel through them and that they might see many come to know you. Father, thank you for being with us. Thank you for the encouragement already that we have received um, at, at just turning our eyes upon you and exalting with you. And Lord, be exalted as we look to your word. You are worthy to be heard, that we would be not just um, seeing the uh, exposition of your word, but uh, Lord, we would be expository listeners, that we would uh, take to heart what you are teaching us and that we would apply it to our lives. For what worth is it to read your word and then forget it and walk away? But God, would you implant your word deep in our souls that we might be transformed by the renewing of our mind and we will commit it to you, to your praise, to your glory, and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. Trust that everyone is doing well, and uh, happy February. It's hard to believe that uh, we are moving along in 2024. If you would turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 26, we will continue our study, the book of Genesis, and while we are in the midst of this great historical narrative, we are hopefully finding great encouragement uh, in this text. And so as we uh, look at this this morning, would you stand with me as we read God's word together? We will be looking, um, starting in verse 12 and going down to verse 25. This is God's word. And Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. 
and he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well spring of water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. And so he called the name of the well Essek, because they had contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. So he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. And so he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him. And the same night said, I am God of Abraham your father, fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. And so he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. This ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Have you ever had your work undone by someone else? Perhaps it's a coworker that spitefully undermined you or even stole your work. For those that uh, know what it's like to work in various uh, industries, you know that sometimes even the red tape of regulations can seem to undermine the very thing that you're trying to do. I think of multiple places in our economy that are constantly affected by uh, regulations that are undermining the very job they're trying to do. You think of uh, auto workers these days and seeking to um, make vehicles like they were made to make vehicles, and yet they're undermined by government regulations or the uh, expensive nature of creating electric vehicles and other things like that. I'm not trying to get political, but it's very interesting how uh, those that are in our world today know what it's like to have your work undermined. Not to mention, uh, it's in the news all the time. You think of what our friends are dealing with down in Texas. You think about Governor Abbott and how he's trying to secure the border and then the government comes in behind him and undoes what he is doing. You ever had that happen to you? Do you know how frustrating that is? In fact, that frustration often can turn to anger, can it? And to ways that you want to find retribution in anger. And sometimes that anger might be even justified. It might even be righteous anger. In our text today, as we look at this, we find Isaac is in the midst of conflict. You would think that after many, the many struggles of Abraham, his father, that Isaac could find rest in this land that, after all, God had promised him. But so far as we have seen the promises of God reiterated to Abraham and to Isaac and will be to Jacob, let alone the rest of the New Testament in this con- or the Old Testament in this context, we find that it's not absent from conflict. That God allows conflict into our lives for various reasons. One of which is to drive us to himself. That conflict and the circumstances of our lives are God's avenue, God's roadway to not just himself, which is indeed blessing, 
but to remind us that this is not our home. That Isaac, while he was seeking to take hold of the promises that God had given him, is finding the very ground that he's under, that are under his feet is not yet redeemed unto him. That he is finding frustration, that the work of his father is being undone. But notice the context, that God is blessing him in many ways. So let's take a look at this in an uh, outline form really quick. We want to look at God's extravagant blessing upon Isaac. We'll look at that here in verses 12 through 14. Secondly, in verses 14 through 16, we'll see that it's very clearly in the text that there's the envy of the Philistines. That oftentimes when we find ourselves blessed of God, that there are those who are spitefully looking at us and seeking to undo what God has given. Thirdly, We'll look at the endurance of Isaac in verse 17 to 23 as they continue to dig wells all the way to the fourth well, and we'll pick up there next week with those. But then also the encouragement that ultimately comes from God in verse 24, and then ultimately Isaac's true focus of exaltation uh, before the Lord. So let's take a look at this. Look at the extravagant blessing here in chapter 26, starting in verse 12. You know, what we've looked at already is how God has protected Isaac uh, providentially through Abimelech, making a proclamation that whoever would touch him or his wife would be put to death, that God has done that in contrast to how God supernaturally had warned his father in the days of Abraham. And so it's in this context that it, things seem hunky-dory, but they're not. We have the promise of God reiterated in verses 1 through 5 to Isaac, just as it was to Abraham. And so there's this sense of security of knowing what God is doing, and yet the trouble right in front of his eyes. You ever felt like that? You know that God is your strength, that he is your hope, that he is your everything. The best is yet to come, but the ground that you're working is constantly frustrating. Well, that's certainly true because of the fall. But notice that God is using those things. Look here how much he blesses Isaac. It says he sowed in that land. Notice it's a threefold kind of blessing here. He starts out with talking about the land itself reaping in the same year. Now remember this is leased land. He's reaping a hundredfold. You almost never hear that, let alone in a desert region like this. The Lord blessed him, it says. And the man became rich. And he gained more and more until he became very wealthy. It reminds me of Proverbs 10.22, which says, The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Now, you might be thinking, well, Pastor Scott, doesn't the Bible tend to talk about the rich having uh, barriers to come to Christ? And while that is certainly true, and Jesus warned of it, and he warned of the love of money, and that being your idol and your focus, yes, it can be very dangerous to one's soul. But I find it very amazing that in the context of Scripture, we deal with some very, very wealthy individuals. Consider Solomon, for instance. Consider Job, who was very powerful and rich. Abraham, wealthy and here Isaac is being blessed by God in a wealthy manner. It's coming from the Lord. 
And this passage proves that that wealth does come with its temptations because people are envious of it. But we also need to realize that just because we have things doesn't mean that those things have to have us. That those are not our focus. Some of the most generous people that I know are wealthy people and they would never tell the person next to them how wealthy they are. In fact, oftentimes they don't live in the luxuries that they could live in or could afford to live in. They're very humble people. And I've had the privilege of knowing them and privilege of seeing how God uses them despite their, uh, the, the thought that wealthy people cannot be used of God or that they are somehow worshiping their finances. So right here in this text, we see that he is working all these things together for a purpose. That he's blessing supernaturally the ground, first of all. But that's not just, that's not all. Notice here that uh, in, um, in verse 14, that he had many flocks and herds and many servants. So I split those into two. He's not only blessing the land, but he's blessing his flocks and herds. Husbandry. He's faithful in this, and he's bringing about many flocks and herds in uh, and through uh, all that had been handed to him by his own father that God is providing. And then also human servants to have great uh, masses amounts of animals and crops requires laborers. There's no way that Isaac could do it himself. But God is providing servants and many are working for Isaac. And notice that this then leads us into our next point. This excessive growth, these flocks and herds are evident that God is blessing. And then we see here at the end of verse 14, the envy of the Philistines. Notice that there's times that even when we have blessing from God that we have those that are envying us for all that God has done for us. And that's taken into account that we would be thankful for what God has given us. But I think also maybe we've experienced the other side, that we're envious. It's often tempting to be envious of those that God has blessed. Oh, that's really great for him. Uh, he got a new car, or she got new clothes, or they got a new house. I wish I had a new house. It's easy to do, isn't it? To slip into this sin of envy where we slowly become envious and wishing what others had is what we had. And at the heart, the root of that in our hearts, it's discontent, is it not? It's discontent with the things that God has given us. I've been challenged by this multiple times in my life and many times through very poor believers who are content in many missions trips over the years, I've found people who live on less than a dollar a day, American dollar a day, and how humbled I am when they are so content with the Lord. They're just content people with whatever God provides, whatever God gives, they will give thanks. They're thankful people, and yet they're not envious or jealous or covetous well, this is what's happened with the Philistines. They're dwelling in this land. They've provided security for Isaac, and Isaac continues to grow and be blessed of God, and God is growing his crops. We'll see in the next passage that uh, the 
um, the king himself says it's very plain to see that God is blessing you. They don't even worship this God, but they're saying God is totally, and there's no other explanation but that God has given this to you. And so they're envious. They are undermined by their own envy. But look at how their envy unfolds. Look at verse 15. It says in parentheses here, now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. Now think about this. They're in a desert land. You must have water, not just for crops, but for your people, but the animals. And as God is blessing with these things, there's a desperate need for water, water rights. And Abraham had dealt with Abimelech and his people in the previous generation to have um, wells that would supply not just themselves, but that he shared with Abimelech and the Philistines. But notice the spite that's going on here that Moses, under the inspiration of the Spirit, puts in parentheses that the Philistines, their envy was doing something. And notice how malicious this is. They're stopping up and filling with earth all the wells that the servants of Abraham had dug. Now that's just mean. It's in a desert land. And even though they themselves could use them, they didn't need them because they were not growing at the same rate as Isaac. So the very foundation of the need for Isaac in these wells, they were maliciously filling up. You don't fill up wells in the desert. But the Philistines were. The malice and the envy coming from them is distorted in the midst of a very great need. Doesn't this tell us about the human heart? what envy does to us. Often envy never accomplishes what we hope it will. If we're envious, then maybe we'll get what they got, which we never do. Because God is teaching us to be content. And notice here in the midst of this that these wells are being stopped up. And it's better for the Philistines to see the wells filled than for Isaac to have the blessing. That's low. Have you ever done that to someone? You've maybe seen that in your family, sibling rivalries. Don't want your, your brother or sister getting that, so nobody gets it. I'm going to hide it. This goes not just for children, but us adults. We would rather have something, and if we don't get it, nobody else gets it. How often the Lord uses such things to remind us of ourselves. But maybe you can associate with Isaac that people have done this to you. Just malicious jealousy over how God has given you good things to enjoy. It's something that many times is a sin of the heart that doesn't come out unless it grows. How does our envy tend to grow in our lives? Well, we see it right here in the hearts of the Philistines. They're simply uh, providing something and then God tends to bless the other party, and they are maliciously living this out by stopping and filling these wells with earth. So, you think it couldn't get any worse? Take a look at verse 16. It says, And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. 
And notice there's not a, necessarily a threat here that Isaac has ever raised his uh, sword to Abimelech. In fact, he's just thriving. He's thankful for being able to dwell in the land and have the security of the Philistines. And God has provided this, and he's provided Gerar for them to dwell in. And they like this place. And so it's a blessing that God has brought from Bir Lahai Roy, where he was dwelling where he now goes to Gerar. I think I misspoke there. He was not in Gerar. He's going to Gerar. But in this place that they are kept, notice that this now changes to see Isaac's endurance. Look at verse 17. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar. So if you were to look at a map of, of, of southwest um, what is present-day Israel. He's going from the south in Bir Lahai Roy, just a little bit inland to a place called Gerar, which would be kind of northeast of where he's been dwelling. If you remember, the Philistines dwelled along the coast, so they, they were just inland from there, and yet at the same time, he goes from them. Notice he doesn't fight with Abimelech. He doesn't raise any of these issues. He doesn't threaten him. He just goes. And notice this is the request of Abimelech. Go away from us. You're mightier than we. Isn't that often the case? That people that are envious of us, they don't want to be our friends. They don't even want to be around us. We're a stench to them. And that can be a hurt to us when we're certainly trying to be friendly to them or even uh, neighborly. And yet notice the request, go away from us. But Isaac's response is to do just that. Sometime we are called to not face directly the envy of others, but to seek peace. And so Isaac, being that very peacekeeping person, departs from there and encamps in the valley of Gerar. And notice it says in verse 17, they settled there. And so because they had been stopping up those wells. What is the major need still before Isaac? It's water. So in verse 18, it picks up and it says that Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham, his father. Remember, his father sojourned this whole area. And the Philistines stopped up these things after the death of Abraham. Clearly, the timing of this reminds us that the Philistines were intending to send messages to Isaac that he was not welcome there. And notice that he is now renaming them at the end of verse 19, the same names that his father had given them. In other words, he's reclaiming or undoing the work of those who undid the work that his father did. It was funny, years ago there was a study given about work, and I think it was Ohio State that did the study, I had a bunch of college guys work one summer, and they were told to dig a ditch. They dug the ditch, and then the next day, everyone, the, the workers or the people doing the study, filled the ditch in. Like, really just undid their work. The next day, they doubled the guy's pay and said, go back out and dig the trench. And they're like, we just dug this yesterday. They're like, dig it again. They got double pay, so they did it again. And this went on for five days, but every day, the amount of guys showing back up to work lessened. 
because they found meaninglessness in their work. But it's interesting how this happens in the context of Isaac's life. He's had his work undone, and he's doing it again. Have you ever felt like you've had to work twice as hard for something that shouldn't be that hard to do? I like that. It's a good response. Often we find in the midst of our labor that people are undoing the very thing we're trying to do and we're doing it in, in a way that's going to bless other people. And so what does he do? Verse 19, the servants of Isaac dug in the valley and they found there a well of spring water. <laughs> Is that what it make the Philistines jealous? I don't know what would. And then notice, it's not over. Verse 20, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, the water is ours. And so notice his response. He names the well Esek. In Hebrew, that is a word for contention. He's just naming it what it is. Like, I'm just trying to get water, and this is contention. It's, it's this constant uh, perseverance that Isaac has. Notice he keeps going. It says, because they contended with him, then verse 21, then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. And so he calls the name of that well Sitna. And if you look at that translation, it really means enmity or anger or, or uh, underhandedness. And so he's just naming these wells based upon the conflicts that he's having, and they're quarreling over them. Nobody likes to quarrel. And so what does he do? Look at verse 22. He moved from there and dug another well. I don't know if I could do that. I would be fighting at this point. I would be burying Philistines in those wells if it was me. Look at his patience here. He says he moved from there and dug another well. And he didn't, they did not quarrel over it. Miracle. So he called its name Rehoboth which means room or broad places. God is, is, is giving them room over against the contention of the Philistines. And he says, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Well, Isaac, if you haven't noticed, you're already being fruitful under the promise of God, but God is continuing to bless your work. And notice it says, verse 23, From there he went up to Beersheba which means the well of seven. So he goes up to this. So this is now, these three wells have been built and he now is able to uh, find water and find a dwelling place for him, his people, his herds, and so on. So God has brought blessing and it was promised blessing. It's envy uh, from those around him, but he's also endured. But it's in the context of this, we find here that God brings encouragement to Isaac. And he does this by reminding himself who he is. Isn't it amazing in the context of our conflicts in life that sometimes God doesn't give us a direct solution? He just gives us himself. Notice, notice verse 24. Look what he says. The Lord appears to him the same night that he gets to Beersheba, and he says, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you, and I will bless you, and I will multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. Isn't it interesting, in the context of this passage, Isaac has inherited really the problems of his father Abraham. He's 
dwelling in a land that he's not at home in. He's dealing with Philistines that his father had to deal with. And he's dwelling in a land that has contention in it. And yet he's standing on the very uh, land that God has promised. But also the joy of knowing that he also has the favor of the God of his father. That God introduces himself as I am the God of Abraham, your father. As I was faithful to your father, so I will be faithful to you. And he reiterates again what he's already said at the beginning of this chapter, that he is going to accomplish these things, that he is with him. Notice this, this truth, this almost trifold promise to him here in verse 24. Don't miss this. He says that he is who he is, God, he's identifying himself as the God of his father. Secondly, that he is with him. And then that he will bless him and multiply his offspring. Isn't that awesome? It should remind us of Revelation 1.8 when John writes these words about the saying of Jesus. He says, I am the Alpha, the Omega, who is, who was, and is to come, the Almighty. God is there. He is accomplishing his purpose in the midst of great frustration and trial. He tells us to not fear because of his presence. Notice he doesn't say, you've got to dig more wells. He doesn't say, I'm going to take, it, take out the Philistines. You know, your descendant, David, is going to slay a giant Goliath one day who is a Philistine. He doesn't prophesy. He doesn't do anything. He comforts Isaac with his presence. He is enough for Isaac. And Isaac receives that. Is that enough for us this morning? We shake our fists at the Lord asking for answers for the things that come into our lives. And all he does is answer with his presence. Is that enough for you? It should be. He is enough. He is sufficient. He says, I am with you. He wants him to reflect on his promises. And just as God has been faithful in the past, so he will be today and tomorrow. And so God encourages Isaac with this great reminder. And then here in verse 25, notice the response, just like Abraham responded to God in a similar fashion. Isaac does nothing else but worship. Notice in verse 25, Isaac builds, builds an altar there and he calls upon the name of the Lord and he pinched, pitched his tent there and there Isaac's servants dug a well. This is interesting that again, the threefold kind of promise to uh, Isaac is responded to by Isaac in three ways. Notice here in verse 25, the first thing he did is act on his worship. He built something. He, uh, it was a testimony to God. In the Old Testament, when uh, uh, these were built, it wasn't just for that particular sacrifice that was going to be made, but it was almost like a monument to God himself, the worship of Yahweh. And so he built an altar there. He did something. 
in the context of our lives, when God brings testing and trial into our lives, what is our response to him? When people are envious of us, do we get frustrated with them or do we continue to seek out places of peace to only find that our true peace is ultimately in the presence of God? That ultimately God is our hope, that he is our sure foundation, that he alone is the security for our future. And so here, Isaac acts by faith and builds an altar. Secondly, notice that Isaac called upon the name of the Lord. Where do you run? Who do you call? Do you call your lawyer? These guys are filling in my wells. I'm going to sue them. Do you call your wife and complain about them like Ahab would? So then she has the neighbors killed? It is funny, but it's serious. This is what we do in our fleshly responses. What do, we, what do we do? Who do we call on? Who do we get angry at? But notice Isaac, seeking peace, goes to Beersheba, and he calls on the name of the Lord. Surely this is a stressful time. The text itself begs it that he's digging and they're filling and then he digs and then they quarrel and he digs again and they quarrel and it's just constant and he finally finds a place where there's rest. He's exhausted and he dwells there and God encourages him and he begins to worship. Do you call upon the name of the Lord in the midst of the strife, the Essex in your life, the Sitnas in your life? He's telling us, keep digging, keep digging. And yes, God blesses with water, as we'll see in this text, that God gives the fountain of water that is needed in a very practical way, but ultimately, it's a pursuit of God who is ultimately the living water. Isn't it ironic that just north of here, in many, many years from this place, is when Jesus himself would come to the woman at Samaria and say that this well, Jacob's well, ultimately, she could drink but from him, she would find rivers of living water and she would never thirst again. Are you finding Christ to be sufficient for your thirst? Are you finding him sufficient for your family's needs? For the needs of your livestock and your servants? If he can do this for Isaac, can he not do it for us? Isaac, a wealthy man with all that he was responsible for, can he not do this for us? Is he the one you are calling upon? But thirdly, there's another response. Notice he didn't just build an, uh, an, a, uh, an altar and, and to worship the Lord. Not only did he call upon the name of the Lord, but notice what Isaac also did. He dwelt there. He pitched his tent there. The promised land as dry and unfavorable it seems to be in an earthly, man-centered world, it's the best place for the child of God. In his promise, in this hope, future tense, he dwells there. Are you dwelling there? It's okay to dwell in a land with enemies and find yourself surrounded 
by the peace of God. People that are undoing what you are working towards every day. And God brings the increase. And while it seems that everything would be to Isaac's detriment, God is reversing for his glory and his good. And God is the one on display here. We'll see in the coming passage that they are clearly seeing that God is blessing him. So where is this envy ultimately routed? Not to Isaac, but ultimately to God himself. How often do we turn our envy to other people, but ultimately it's a masking of our anger towards God because he hasn't given us what we want? Or maybe we're tempted like Isaac to be frustrated with those who are envious. Either way, whatever side of the coin we're on, God is calling us to attention here that he is our soul foundation if we are finding ourselves like the philistines this morning envying other people oh that we'd be content in the lord and if we're on the other side we're frustrated by people who are undoing what we're doing and we're seeking peace with them and they don't want it and they want us to move away from them we find our peace in him it's the same place it's the same solution we're called to keep digging in that direction. We're called to keep digging and to not give up and to continue to endure, to find our soul's satisfaction in Christ and Christ alone. That was Isaac's hope. He knew that he could have what he had been promised because he trusted God by faith. Are you dwelling there? You're not just worshiping, you're not just calling out to him, but it's acting on the truth and you're dwelling there. You're remaining in him and drinking in all that he has for you, even in the midst of a dry desert. So what? What for us? Are you finding yourself dry these days? Oh, that you would come to Christ, the sure fountain of living water, that will satisfy the depths of your soul. Perhaps you have forgotten him. As believers, we can intellectually think on him, but we're not habitually drinking from that fountain. We found ourselves trying to solve our own problems, to answer our own prayers, and yet God is bringing, him back, bringing us back to himself. But perhaps this morning, you're finding yourself completely in the desert, having no water, and realizing that you have lived unto yourself and never looked to Christ, your Savior. He alone is your hope. He alone is the only one that can give you water of rejuvenation and regeneration. Call upon him, as Isaac did, and God will answer what a joy it is from the scriptures to know that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What a glory that is that God is not one to turn his ear to a repentant cry. To one who would say, woe is me, oh God, you are what I need. You are all that I've ever needed. You are my well, my soul's satisfaction. Remember years ago when I lived in Ireland. The leaders of the ministry that were seeking to reach out to the local community took the Gaelic phrase from a, a local pub, a bar down the street called Ontober. It's right in the 
downtown area of Galway in Ireland, Republic of Ireland. And so they thought, what a fitting way to announce the gospel than to call, if they're calling that the well, then what are we going to speak of? If we're speaking of the gospel, we're on Tabernua, the new well. The hope of their, that they're seeking or the comfort that they're seeking and food and drink ultimately will not satisfy. Oh, how often we find ourselves trying to feast on things that will never satisfy. And yet God says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, it's just the look of faith that Isaac took to the Lord and said, Lord, you are my soul's satisfaction. And God promised, and he took care of Isaac in such a way that he was so wealthy, he didn't know what to do with it because he had to keep digging wells, as we'll see as this passage goes on. But I thought it's so good for us to, to dwell here, to notice here, and not just pass by and, and see the summation of these things at the end of chapter 26, but to just stop here and look at the extravagant blessing of God, the envy of the Philistines, the endurance of Isaac, the encouragement that God brings in times of difficulty, but also that Isaac was exulting in God. Not exalting, exulting to, to make much of this this powerful reminder to us that our emotions connect to our mind, that we are exulting in God. There is a response in our lives that says, that, it, that inhabits the will, that says, I will stop doing that and I will start doing this. And that is a work of God. Are you there? Are you trusting Christ like that? Is he enough for you? Oh, that we would not see our work undone. In our physical sense, in our lives, we probably will in this world. But when we make deposits of faith, and by faith put our hand to the plow, we will see a reaping that has never been seen before. And it's a work that only God does. It's very interesting that in the context of the Bible, it tells us that preaching the gospel is like sowing seed. And for you farmers, you know this very well, that, that you don't always see uh, an increase. Sometimes you see a loss. And how frustrating that is. But we know that as we share the gospels, we plow this field that our king has told us to plow, that God will bring the increase. It's promised that the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. And so what for you this morning? How has God called you to start uncovering the truths of the last generation just as the wells of Abraham were filled in, so Isaac uncovered them. I find in our day, uh, day in and day out in the evangelical church in this century, we're often just eating fast food. We're not digging the depths of the riches of all that the Reformation has delivered to us on a platter. And it's there for us to partake of in what God has done in his justifying work in Christ. And that we are able to, to feast on that. But we got to dig. we got to enjoy it. we got to, to, to turn away our appetites from that which is just the fluff. 
and we're running to the dessert table when we could be feasting on all that God has given us right here. Plumbing the depths of God's word. How are you uncovering the truths of those previous generations that were standing on their shoulders? We're not finding all these things ourselves. This is from the Lord. God is reminding us of his word. The centrality of this book. We are living in a generation, 500 years since the Reformation, where people are illiterate about this book. It's in every home, but we're not understanding it. We're not living it. We're not trusting him. What about us? Is he enough for us? Is he our true well? May he stop up the wells that we are trying to find our hope, our encouragement from. And would he remind us again of a Rehoboth, that he has given us room, a room to dwell, a room to enjoy, a room to drink in all that he is. And this is done by faith. Abraham, Isaac, and we'll see what Jacob had to look beyond the troubles of their day to all that God would do. We, by faith, are looking back on the sacrifice, death, and resurrection of Christ, and yet we're looking forward to that which is to come, the endurance of the saints and the second coming of Christ. We look for that. We long for that by faith. And so the walk of faith is not that dissimilar to Isaac's. We have what is in the past, and we can be thankful for with gratitude, but we also turn in faith to what God will do, and we keep digging. Saints, don't be discouraged when you feel your work is being undone. God will provide. He will show you where to dig, and he will be a fountain of living water for your soul. Let's pray. God, how good it is to look at your word to see in just a simple historical narrative inspired by your spirit shows in a human way our condition that without you we would surely be dead not just in a physical way but Lord we are desperate for you spiritually And Lord, forgive us for times that we are like the Philistines, looking only unto this life, finding our hope and our future and everything in this life, and yet you remind us day in and day out that our life is a vapor, and we know that in our minds, but we do the opposite in our actions. Oh God, we seek to be comfortable in this life. There's nothing wrong with the riches that you have provided but when they have our heart rather than you, how detrimental it is. Oh God, give us hearts like Isaac that don't dwell on your blessings, but seek to find uh, peace and to be peacemakers and to exult in you and to worship you and to dwell with you. And ultimately, that our hearts would be content in the soul-satisfying well of Jesus Christ. Oh God, forgive us for times that we are envious. Forgive us for the times that we respond in anger when we should be responding in faith. Forgive us for the times that we 
are bitter because of what people have done in undermining that which we have worked so hard for. And help us by faith to trust you, that you will help us uncover the wells that have been buried, that you will provide new pasture land to provide for us where we can exult and worship you in a goodly land that only you can provide. And ultimately, Lord, as we come to your table in a few moments, we realize that it's not a land that ultimately you are seeking to bring, but the soul-satisfying relationship of the Lord Jesus Christ, reconciling sinners to the Father. It's a person. It always has been a person. And you are worthy of our praise. So thank you, Lord, for this. Would you use your word as you would see fit to mold and shape and sanctify your people? And Lord, would you use your word to convict those who are trusting in other idols than you, that they would see that they can turn to the well and be satisfied and turn from their sin and follow you. Oh God, be for us that well. In Jesus' name.